It is not uncommon in our day to hear people make the statement, when we get to heaven, we are going to be surprised at who's there. There is certainly some truth to that statement because sometimes, sadly, God's people don't live the way they ought to live and they don't look the way they ought to look. What I mean is, they don't live in such a way that it is obvious that they are God's children. An example I think of is Abraham's nephew, Lot. If you and I would have seen Lot when he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, we would not have been able to easily recognize that he belonged to the Lord. Yet in 2 Peter 2, 2, he is referred to as a righteous man, 2 Peter 2. Now that doesn't necessarily mean he was righteous in his behavior, but he was righteous in his standing before God. So there is some truth to the statement. When we get to heaven, we are going to be surprised at who's there. However, in an even greater way, Scripture indicates that when we get to heaven, we are going to be surprised at who's not there. We are going to be surprised that some of the most religious people on the planet didn't make it. Remember, the disciples had no clue that Judas wasn't genuine until he finally decided to bolt and get whatever he could for betraying Jesus. There have always been and will always be religious people who look the part but are not genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Religious people who look the part but are not genuine children of God. And there have always been and always will be religious leaders or teachers who are not children of God. That is what the Apostle Peter addressed in, second, in the second chapter of his letter called Second Peter. Please turn with me in your Bible to Second Peter chapter 2 if you're not already there. And please follow along as I read verses 1 through 3, which we began to consider last Lord's Day. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber." As you may remember when we went through 1 Peter, that first letter was written to address problems Christians face from without. This second letter of Peter is written to address problems from within. 1 Peter explains how we should respond to external opposition, namely persecution. And 2 Peter explains how we should respond to internal opposition, namely false teachers. 1 Peter deals with antagonism, while 2 Peter deals with apostasy. 1 Peter instructs concerning hostility, while 2 Peter instructs concerning heresy. 1 Peter exalts godly leadership in 1 Peter 5, while 2 Peter condemns false teachers. 
This chapter is the heart and soul of that condemnation. Peter ended chapter 1 of this letter by talking about genuine prophets of God who were used by God to give us inspired Holy Scripture. He opens chapter 2 by warning us about false teachers who distort and misuse inspired Holy Scripture. In the first verse of this chapter, which we considered last Lord's Day, Peter warns about false teachers. He tells the activity of false teachers. He describes the core problem of false teachers. And he affirms the destiny of false teachers. The warning is that false teachers have always been and will always be among and around the people of God. Their activity is to secretly bring in destructive heresies. Their core problem, verse 1 tells us, is that they deny the lordship of Christ in their lives. To say it another way, they don't submit to the rule of Christ unconditionally as it is revealed in his word. Their destiny is eternal judgment in hell, which is why Peter uses the word destruction in verse 1. All of that information about false teachers is in verse 1, which we looked at last time. But Peter isn't finished. He has a lot more to say about false teachers. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. The opening phrase of this verse strikes a lethal blow to the idea that if a teaching is popular, even in religion, then it must be right. That is a common assessment today. A common opinion today. The prevailing attitude is the biggest churches are the best churches. Or most biblical churches. Beloved, surely you know that is not true. Some of the biggest churches in our country or in the world are simply ones that know how to draw the largest crowd. Truth is not determined by popularity or crowds or results. Popularity and numbers are a very false test of truth. Here in verse 2, Peter says that many will follow their destructive ways. Now, don't miss the word many. Why did Peter say many? Peter said many. Here's the answer. Peter said many because Jesus said many. Peter simply said what he heard Jesus say. Let me show you what I mean. Go back from 2 Peter to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. <coughs> Matthew, chapter 7, is clearly in the mind of Peter as he writes his second epistle, especially that second chapter. He remembered what Jesus had to say. He never forgot what Jesus had to say. And he reiterated what Jesus had to say, just saying it in a different way. Notice in chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. This is Jesus' invitation near the end of his Sermon on the Mount. As you can see for yourself, his invitation didn't follow the pattern of what we so often see today. 
Instead of asking people to come forward as an invitation, he urged them to respond to the message in their hearts and by their lives. He gives an invitation, yes, but he doesn't give an altar call. He exhorts people to be saved, and he invites them to to walk down the narrow road to life, but he doesn't ask them to walk down an aisle to an altar. This is the way Jesus gave his invitation. His sermon has been building to this point. He has stressed the fact that many people believe and think there are numerous paths to salvation. They think the road to heaven is very broad. Jesus corrected that by saying the road to destruction is actually the one that is very broad. It is so broad that it encompasses many philosophies. It is so broad that it encompasses many lifestyles, many belief systems. It is so broad that it encompasses all religions that teach salvation by works and righteous deeds. It includes the self-help theories, the atheistic theories, the New Age beliefs, and the non-Christian religions, and even the Christian religions that have become empty shells of dead orthodoxy and ritualism. Jesus warns that the road to destruction is very broad. But beloved, here's the scary part. Please hear this and understand it. Many people who are on the broad road to destruction, catch this, believe they are on the path of salvation. They think they're on the path of salvation. That's what Jesus is warning about in this verse. Understand that he is not warning people who have no interest in salvation. He is not warning people who have no intention of making it into the kingdom. The people that we would say are the secularists. That's not his focus group in this message. He is warning the many people who think they're on the right road, but they're on the wrong road. In fact, the many of this verse, of verse 13, end up down in verses 22 and 23. Verse 22, many, there's our same word, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. The many who are mentioned in verse 13 are people who believe they are on the path of salvation But when they die and get to the judgment, they will be shocked to find out that they were on the wrong road all along. So throughout this sermon, Jesus pointed people to the true path of salvation, the true path of righteousness, and then he closes his message with a call to true faith and salvation. He says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and confined or difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beloved, do you hear what Jesus is saying in these two verses? He is saying there are few who find the way of life. I'm not sure we really believe that. We want to believe that many, many people in our world are going to end up in heaven. And it's understandable in a sense that we would want to believe that because that's what we would like to be the case, right? I mean, 
we, that's what we would hope would be the case. But we need to take seriously what Jesus said. He said, many go down the broad road to destruction, and few go down the narrow road to life. And again, I emphasize, the many that Jesus is referring to in these verses are not irreligious people. He's not even talking about irreligious people. He is talking about religious people. They are the ones who make up the many who are on the broad road to destruction, and they are the ones who are going to be shocked when they stand before the judgment bar of God. And so, because of our Lord's immense compassionate heart, He gives these two verses of invitation in verses 13 and 14. He is calling people to enter in by the narrow gate, and He is warning people about the broad road to destruction. He says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Notice that Jesus' invitation actually begins with an an imperative. It begins with a command. As God, He didn't merely ask people to be converted. He didn't merely invite people to salvation. He actually commanded people. He says, enter through the narrow gate. That's what you have to do. It's a command. He didn't merely invite people to salvation. He commanded people to enter through the narrow gate. Not only that, he claimed to be the gate. He claimed to be the gate, the door, the only entrance to salvation. In John 10, 9, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed to be the exclusive way to salvation. And the apostles heard him, believed him, and echoed the same message. For example, in Acts 4.12, the Apostle Peter said of Jesus, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Beloved, don't believe the lie of our present day that there are many ways to God. There aren't many ways to God. There aren't many paths to God. There is one mediator between God and men, and that is Christ Jesus. There is one name. There is no salvation in Buddha or Krishna or Muhammad or Joseph Smith or the Pope or Ellen White or Elizabeth Clare Prophet or the Watchtower Society or any other name. There is one mediator, one name, one door, one gate. And Jesus is it. That's why Jesus says here in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate. The narrow gate to life is is constricted and precise because it is only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By way of contrast, the way that leads to destruction is very wide and very broad. I found it interesting to discover that the word broad that Jesus uses here in this verse, in verse 13, it also means 
roomy. Roomy. There's lots of room. Lots of room on that road. It's easy to take the broad road to destruction. In fact, you don't have to do anything to get on it. Because we're all on it from the time we're born. We are born sinners with a strong bent towards sin. We choose to sin. We choose our own way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We all naturally go our own way. So we, we don't have to work to get on the broad road to destruction. We're already on it. And there's plenty to keep us comfortable on the broad road. It's very roomy. There's plenty to keep us comfortable. Religion, in many forms, comes along and says, you're on the right path. Just try to do good, you'll make it. Just be a good person. Just come to our house of worship and you'll get in. All you have to do is abide by our religion, our rituals, and that will guarantee you salvation at the end. The broad road is very roomy. It appears to be headed to heaven, when in reality it is the road to destruction, Jesus says. But listen, because it is so comfortable, because it is so roomy, many go in that gate and march down that road. The saddest word here in verse 13, the saddest word in this verse is the word many. Many people, says our Lord, are on the broad road to destruction. It's difficult for us to accept that. We want to believe that there aren't that many who are going to end up in hell in eternal ruin. We want to believe that only the especially wicked are going to be there. Men like Hitler and Stalin. We can accept that. Oh, sure, they deserve to go there. But Jesus said many. Oh, what a tragedy that so many people are unwilling to let go of their religion and let go of their works and let go of their self-righteousness to enter into the narrow gate of faith in Jesus Christ. But that is tragically the case. Because it is so difficult for us to accept this fact, Jesus says it another way in the very next verse. He basically says what he already said. He just words it differently. Verse 14, Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. You know, beloved, this is the very thing, this is the very thing that so many people oppose about the gospel. This is it. They oppose its narrowness. They oppose its exclusivity. There are many, this is not an overstatement, there are many people in our world, in our society, who hate this aspect of the gospel. They detest it. They don't mind if you say God loves the world. They, they like to hear that. They don't mind if you say God gave his son for our sins. They don't mind if you say God is a forgiving God. They don't even mind if you say there is salvation in Jesus. Just as long as you don't say salvation is only in Jesus. That's when they really get angry. That's when they consider our message narrow 
exclusive, unwelcoming. It's okay to say there's salvation in Jesus just as long as you don't exclude others. There's salvation in Jesus and there's salvation in Islam and there's salvation in Hinduism. There's salvation in Buddhism, etc. That's the politically correct way to say it. For example, a while back, Joel Osteen, who is the pastor of the largest church in the United States of America, was on Larry King Live. I mean, what a tremendous opportunity with that audience to proclaim and stand for the exclusivity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But sadly, that's not what happened. Here's the conversation, word for word, verbatim. Larry King said, quote, We've had ministers on who said, your record don't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. If you believe in Christ, you're going to heaven. And if you don't, no matter what you've done in your life, you ain't. Joel Osteen's response, quote, Yeah, I don't know. There's probably a balance between. I believe you have to know Christ, but I think that if you know Christ, if you're a believer in God, you're going to have some good works. I think it's a cop-out to say, I'm a Christian, but I, I don't ever do anything. Larry King, pressing. What if you're Jewish or Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? Osteen. You know, I'm very careful about saying who would and who wouldn't go to heaven. I don't, I don't know. Larry King. If you believe you have to believe in Christ, they're wrong, aren't they? Osteen. Well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches, and from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God, and I I don't know. I've seen their sincerity, so I don't know. I know for me and what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, end quote. What kind of answers are those? That's a bunch of politically correct gobbledygook. Larry King knows the gospel better than Osteen knows the gospel. Jesus said, narrow is the gate and confined is the way that leads to life and there are few who find it. Beloved, Jesus, understand this, Jesus was the one who was narrow. That's what is often... uh, thrown at us as believers today in the 21st century. We are accused of being narrow. Jesus was the one who was narrow. And even though it is not politically correct or popular to say that the gospel is exclusive, that's what Jesus himself is saying here in these verses. The gate is narrow because it is one person and one person alone, namely Jesus himself. The road is confined and difficult because it is not easy for people to let go of their self-righteousness or let go of their religious achievements to trust in Christ alone. The way is confined and difficult because people love the darkness rather than the light. As a result, Jesus said, only a few will find it. Just as the saddest word in verse 13 is the word many, The scariest word in verse 14 is the word few. Compared to the billions of people who have lived and are alive, Jesus said only a few people are going to make it into eternal life. 
Now be careful here. Some people take this the wrong way and say, only our group is going to heaven. Our group is small, and we are the only ones going to heaven because it's just like Jesus said, only a few will make it. As you probably know, that's the attitude of some churches or some denominations. For example, many people in the Church of Christ believe they are the only ones who are going to heaven because they teach you have to be baptized by immersion to have your sins forgiven. So they teach that only those who have been baptized by immersion for the forgiveness of sins are going to heaven. And the same kind of thing is true of other churches, other denominations. Only Baptists are going to heaven is the attitude of some Baptist churches. Or only Presbyterians are going to heaven, etc. And they try to find support for their view by saying, well, Jesus himself said that only a few will make it. Yes, it is true that Jesus said only a few will make it, but he wasn't saying only one church or one denomination. He is saying this. He is saying that the number of people who will be in heaven will be few in comparison with the billions who have lived. Actually, it may surprise you to hear this, actually there are going to be a lot of people in heaven, according to the book of Revelation. John on one occasion sees a crowd that no one could number in, before the Lamb, before the throne, in heaven. There are going to be a lot of people who are there, but compared with the billions who have lived, the number will be few. It will only consist of those who have entered by the narrow gate. It will only consist of those who are willing to let go of their self-righteousness to trust in Christ alone. Those who are willing to let go of their religious achievements to trust in Christ alone. Now you can see why Peter used the word many in chapter 2 of his second letter. He took the words of Jesus very seriously. Now let's go back to our text there in 2 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> so in verse 2, Peter lets us know that false teachers will have many followers. Many. If you doubt that, just look at the numbers of people who attend Benny Hinn Crusades or, as I mentioned, Joel Osteen's church and other such events under the umbrella of Christendom. Many, many people flock to ministries to tell them thing, that, that tell them things like, God's will is for you always to be healthy and wealthy. God is interested in helping you build up your self-esteem. Many people go to hear what they want to hear. The, the Lord's timing is always amazing to me. As I was preparing this week for, for this message, someone told me about a friend, actually a relative of theirs, who recently heard a Joel Olstein sermon where he said, it is God's will for you to have a nice big house. So if you don't have one, go out and get a keychain because God will put a key on that eventually for your house. And so this, this friend of mine, his, his, his relative, went out and bought the keychain believing she's going to get a big, nice house. Many people go to hear what they want to hear. Not only that, but interestingly, the word that Peter uses here in verse 2 specifically refers in some context to sexual immorality, and he uses the plural form to emphasize his point. He is saying false teachers are often, maybe not always, but are often characterized by immorality. 
How many scandals and stories about abusive boys do we have to hear before we believe that a system is full of false teachers? It comes out all the time. All the time. And the last phrase of this verse says, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Boy, is that ever true. The world mocks the gospel because of what they see presented as Christianity, especially on television, even though it's not really Christianity. False teachers claim to be representatives of Christ, the mouthpiece of Christ, mouthpiece of Christ, and then a scandal comes out about their immorality and shows that it's all a facade. Beloved, that's not a true picture of Christianity. That's not Christianity. In addition to the moral issue, so many of the religious programs on television are nothing more than bizarre distortion of biblical Christianity's true and accurate message. You, you turn on the TV and it's a supposedly Christian program. You see some guy or gal on the stage running around telling people to claim their miracle or speak in some kind of unintelligible babble. Or you see someone touching people on the forehead and the people collapse, claiming they are slain in the Spirit, even though there is absolutely nothing in the Bible to support that kind of bizarre nonsense. No wonder the world mocks. So what Peter warned would happen. The world will mock. And the way of truth is blasphemed. That's not the way of truth. But it's presented as the way of truth. It's presented as Christianity. What a tragedy that the face, this is not an overstatement, the face of Christianity to our world is a bizarre distortion of biblical Christianity. I mean, what, peop, what people in our world, the, the majority of the people in our world, view as Christianity is not Christianity at all. It's not even close. It's not the way of truth, but it's presented as truth. And then Peter adds verse 3. He says, By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. The first phrase in this verse says that false teachers are greedy and eager to exploit others financially. In case you doubt that, let me give you just a small sampling of statistics. In 2003, that was number of years ago. In 2003 alone, Benny Hinn brought in close to $200 million. $200 million. He stays, established fact, he stays in $10,000 per night hotel rooms. Jesse Duplantis just completed a 35,000 square foot parsonage. I didn't say 3,500 square feet. I said 35,000 square feet, and he calls it a parsonage. Again, the Lord's timing is amazing. I received a text yesterday from a friend of mine who lives in the south down where that uh, Jesse Duplantis lives, and he said, hey, I just drove by his parsonage. I took a picture. You want me to send it to you? I said, please, send it on my phone. You want to see it? Come up to me afterwards. I'll show you. I've got the front view and the side view of this parsonage, 35,000 square feet. Kenneth Copeland has a $20 million citation jet and lives in an 18,000-square-foot home. 
Paul and Jan Crouch of Trinity Broadcasting Network each have their own private jets. They don't even live together, which most people don't know. They don't even live together. So they each have their own private jets. His alone. His is valued at a cool $50 million. And beloved, that's just the tip of the iceberg. When it comes to the way false teachers exploit well-meaning but gullible people out of their money. They're very good at it. Really good at it. Which is why Peter says here in verse 3, they will exploit you with deceptive words. False teachers are very good at acquiring money by promising people that God will bless whoever gives to their ministries. But it's a sham to call what they do ministry. Beloved, here's the point. It's time that we wake up and realize that there is a lot of money to be made in religion by false teachers who are good at merchandising well-meaning people. Just yesterday afternoon, I was sent a a clip. I'm going to show it, Lord willing, next Sunday night as part of our Bible question and answer. A clip of a false teacher on TV specifically targeting widows, just as Jesus warned in his Sermon on the Mount. Specifically targeting widows to send him their money. That's why Peter gives us this warning. Notice he says here in this verse, they will exploit you. You. Peter is warning Christians. Is it possible for true and genuine Christians to be deceived and confused and exploited financially by false teachers? Is that possible? Absolutely. Absolutely it's possible. Otherwise, Peter would not have written these words. The Holy Spirit of God would not have directed Peter to write what he wrote here. He is warning God's people about the character and activity of false teachers. And then he mentions their judgment. The last phrase of this verse says, For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. That's Peter's way of saying that their judgment is certain. He already said this at the end of verse 1, as we saw last week. But he wants to make sure that we don't miss it. Their judgment is certain. And if by chance... Any false teachers would read this letter or hear this letter quoted. Peter wanted to make sure that they heard the fact that God will not let them slide. God will not hold them guiltless. Listen, nothing is more evil. Nothing is more evil than for a man to claim to speak for God when in reality he misuses or twists or distorts God's truth for his own benefit or the benefit of his own religious group. Nothing is more evil than that. Nothing compares. The judgment that such false teachers will face is horrendous. In Matthew 23, 33, Jesus said to some of the false teachers of his day, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? They couldn't, because they wouldn't. They had the opportunity to avoid hell if they would just humble themselves, confess their sin, turn to the truth, and seek the Lord's forgiveness. But they were completely unwilling to do that. Their religion was more important to them. Their financial gain was more important to them. 
And so it is with false teachers today. It's mind-boggling to think that many, many religious people are going to end up in hell. That's not what most of society believes. The vast majority of the people in our society believe that it will be the irreligious people who are going to end up in hell. The secularists, the atheists, that's who's going to end up in hell. That's the only groups that will end up in hell. But the fact is, if you believe Jesus, and you believe Jesus' apostles, the fact is that hell will also be composed of some of the most religious people on the planet, even people within Christendom, even people under the umbrella of Christendom. So where do you stand with Christ today? Not with religion, not with your works. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? Will you stand before him someday to hear him say, I never knew you. Depart from me. No relationship. You don't belong to me. Depart from me. Don't leave this place. Don't leave this place this morning. Headed down the broad road to destruction. Because if you've seen what Jesus said, if you've seen what the Apostle Peter said, you've been warned. Let go of whatever holds you back and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. Let's bow together as, as we close. On a personal note, this is not, it's not a pleasant message to share. I mean, this, this entire second chapter of Second Peter, as I've been studying it now for several weeks, is it's a dark chapter. An important, necessary chapter, but it's a dark chapter. One that the Spirit of God saw fit to place in Holy Scripture. So we would be utterly foolish to ignore it, reject it, or in some way diminish it. It's not pleasant, but it's important. Very important. Peter is simply saying, reiterating what Jesus said, expanding on what Jesus said, but representing the passion of our Lord's ministry, that people don't go down the broad road to destruction. So I, I urge you with all that is in me this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, don't trust in your religion. Don't say, well, you know, I was baptized a few years ago, or I, I, I've been through confirmation or church membership or whatever it is. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? If you don't know him, you'll stand before him someday to hear him say, I never knew you. Depart from me. So make sure you know Christ. If you don't or if there's any doubt in your mind, settle it now. Right now, right where you are seated, call out to Jesus Christ in your heart and tell him, Lord, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be forgiven. I want your salvation. I want to belong to you. I want to follow you. Just tell him from your heart. Just express that. But don't say, oh, I'm good to go because of my religion or my church membership or whatever it is. Don't, don't. Don't go down that tragic path. 
Father, as we close this morning, it's uh, not an easy task to say these things, especially in our day and age. Not a pleasant task, certainly, but extremely important. May we take seriously what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and what Peter reiterated in 2 Peter 2, that the road to destruction is broad. The road to life is narrow. The gate is constricted. It's precise. It's through one person and one person alone. That is your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how we pray for anyone hearing these words who is right now on the broad road to destruction, trusting in religion, trusting in human merit, trusting in religious achievement, whatever it is, but not trusting in Christ and Christ alone. May your Holy Spirit shatter that false trust. May your Holy Spirit do whatever it takes to open the eyes, open the heart, break the will, so that that man, woman, young person, whoever it is, would surrender to knowing Christ personally as Lord and Savior. And Father, for those of us who do, may we take seriously the warnings of Peter that false teachers will be many. By covetousness, they will exploit the people of God with deceptive words. May we be be keen and aware of what's going on in our day and age and what is presented as biblical Christianity when it's not even close to biblical Christianity. No wonder the way of truth is blasphemed. It is mocked because of the distortions in the name of Christ. May you grant us the grace to be true and faithful to your word, true and faithful to its message, no matter what it costs us, whether it's ridicule, mocking, being excluded, being categorized as narrow, not politically correct, whatever, whatever the price we have to pay. May we willing to be willing to stand and be faithful to the truth of your word as revealed in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.